on days like this, uh, it's obvious why my hair is like this, right? Um, not only does it make me run faster on the touch football field, uh, but it is so much more cooling. It has its advantages when you have a shower. There's not much um, sort of drying that you have to do. Um, but I- I've never really told many people around here as to like why I cut my hair like this every, uh, every summer, I guess. I uh, see a number of years ago as I was starting out um, in the IT industry, I, w- I worked for a small IT company. And the joke around the company was that the less hair you have, the higher you went in the company. Uh, so the CEO was bald. Um, the, the CTO, or the te- C- Chief Technology Officer, had very little hair. He was balding, but he kind of had a hair, hairdo like mine. And a lot of the senior guys had hair like mine. And so wanting to kind of fit in and hoping that I might get a raise or potential kind of, um, you know, get good jobs and stuff, I also cut my hair like this. Um, and since then, I've, every summer, I've continued in the, in the fashion. Um, so it doesn't seem to work here. Pete and Alan all have their hair, but um, I'm still doing it. Um, but the thing is, I think we've all done stuff in our lives uh, so that we kind of fit in with the rest of the team, right? Uh, maybe it's the way you dress or maybe it's the way you talk. For me, it was the way I cut my hair. Uh, but, but doing that made you part of, the, part of the club. As we look at this passage this morning, we start to kind of wrestle with this idea, uh, what does it mean, what does it look like uh, to be a real, authentic Christian? What are you supposed to do uh, to be part of it, to be part of the club? If you're in a real relationship with God, what does that look like? If you read along with us this morning on the passage, and hopefully you have that open with you, it's kind of this constant debate. Uh, Paul, or, sorry, John is talking about this group that had left them, and they've got some ideas as to what it means to kind of live in this world as a Christian. And John's saying, no, 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 this is how you're supposed to do it. And his main idea is, is this, this focus on verse 5. See, God is light. Uh, he's whole and pure. And if you know this God, this God of life, then you are supposed to live differently. This group that had kind of gone out from the church community that John was writing to will likely say, no, you don't really need to live any differently. Just, just do whatever. And so I want us to see in our time together that the, the main idea that John wants us to communicate and to realise is that an authentic relationship with God is marked by faith and repentance. An authentic relationship with God is marked by faith and repentance. Um, basically, we're going to consider this idea in three ways. We're going to realise that our actions do matter. But not only do our actions matter, but the, the orientation of our actions matter. And finally, we're going to see that Jesus matters most of all. So if you like taking notes, you can jot them down in the bulletin. The outline is there for you. But why don't we think about this passage, uh, thinking through first this idea that actions matter. In verse 5, John speaks about who God is, the character of God. God is light. He's trying to highlight, communicate to us this otherworldly character of God. God is, is not just like you and me, but he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's so much nicer than the nicest person that we've ever known. There is an otherworldliness about him. And so John describes this God as light without darkness. He is pure, whole and perfect. A God who is purely compassionate, wholly merciful, faultlessly just and perfectly gracious. He is like no other that we've known. And so John's idea is that if you knew this God, this God of light, you would live differently. But as I said last week, there is a group of of leaders that have kind of left the church community that John was writing to. Um, We don't know exactly what they thought or what they believed, 
But we start to see here that in verse 6, they've claimed that you can have fellowship with God, that you can know God, but still walk in darkness. Uh, If you want to summarise what they say, basically, I can know God, but just live however I want. Uh, We, as I said, don't know exactly who these people were. But it's likely they, they thought in a particular kind of way. Scholars have described this kind of way as Gnostic. Well, what does that mean? Well, to be Gnostic was meant, as you considered your relationship with God, it was very much about the spiritual and very little about the physical. Get that? Very much about the spiritual and less about the physical. So, the, the physical world, what you did, how you lived, it was all evil. It didn't really make any sense. You, you weren't supposed to focus on that. It was all about um, sort of increasing your spirituality. How did you do that? You just knew more. The more knowledge you gained, the more spiritual you became. And so they divorced this idea that you could know God and yet have to live in line with who God was. There was this disconnect. In many ways, we we can kind of think like this when we uh, approach relationships. We start to think that our actions don't matter. I mean, think about it. So often, if you have an authentic and loving relationship with someone, you don't like this idea that they want you to change, right? You know, it's a bit offensive to think, you know, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, if you're going to be my friend, you have to cut your hair like mine, right? You have to have my type of humour. No one wants to be in a relationship like that. That's not a loving, authentic type of relationship. We come as we are, right? And so as we consider a relationship with God, we start to think, I don't like this idea that God would tell me or, or expect me to live any differently. We don't like this idea that we might have to change. And John says, no, 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 you do. If you truly know this God, knowing is not about this abstract, intellectual, speculative type of thinking that helps you go spiritually only. If you knew this God, it is this experiential experience uh, that you can never kind of not change from. You cannot know God and live indifferently. I mean, you'd only need to kind of look at young children growing up, right? They start to talk like each other, kind of annoyingly. They parrot each other. Uh, They dress like each other. Um, They may even have the same taste in food. And even as we grow up as adults, I mean, think about it. In close relationships with those, um, do you happen to kind of like the food that others like? Maybe dress how they dress, have the same humour. And you really get to know someone. You start to have the same hopes same dreams and same ambitions. You can even sort of start to become like each other. It's kind of weird and scary sometimes. Those that have been married for such a long time, they kind of look like each other as well. It's weird. You check it out next time. But see, John wants us to see that it's impossible to know God, to really know this God and yet to live indifferently. And so he calls them, if you know God is light, to live and walk in the light. What does that mean? Well, basically, very simply, it means to walk in the light is to reflect the character of God. If you open up the the Bible and look at the first book of the Bible in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that were created, uh, they disobey and reject God's words as how to best live in the garden. And it's these actions that lead to this guilt and shame. It leads them to hiding from God. See, walking in darkness leads us away from God It leads us to living opposed to him. So if we want to think about what it means to walk in the light, we need to realise that walking in the light is about living in obedience and response to who God is, God's character. See, it's to be kind, gracious and compassionate because that's who God is. 
It's to, to hate injustice. It's to despise the oppression of the poor and the marginalized because that's what God is like. See, so often we pick and choose about who God is and how we respond. And John's saying, if you truly know this God, you live differently. Walking in the light, friends, is a conscious and sustained endeavor to live life in conformity to the character of God. See, so often if you are a Christian for any amount of time, it's kind of like driving a Prius onto a highway and then hitting the cruise control button. So you, you kind of get up to speed, figure out what everyone else is doing and then just kind of fall into line. You don't really think about growing proactively, you're kind of just sitting there cruising. I think a much more appropriate idea of what it means to walk in the light is to think of yourself as a really fast car, maybe like an F1 for a racer Ferrari or something like that. You're swerving in and out of lanes, kind of one of those annoying people that drive too fast, but you're constantly pushing the boundaries until the end of the race. See, Christianity, walking in the light, is not about settling in. It's about constantly waging war to live as those who know God and reflect his character and personality. If you're a Christian this, here this morning, I ask you, how are you living differently? Look back to the past year. How has your life been changing, been conforming, been moulding to who God is? As you think about maybe co-workers, family, friends who aren't Christian, who do not know this God of light, how similar is your life to them? See, authentic relationship with God is, is living differently. Actions matter. But also our motivation matters as well. And Jesus speaks not only of our actions, but the heart that motivates them. And so living in the light is not just being outwardly patient, but it's refusing to have a judgmental and critical spirit that leads us to become impatient. Maybe we might appear forgiving, but are we people that allow a bitter and resentful spirit to kind of fester in our hearts? Your action and your motivations matter. A real relationship with God transforms your whole life. Everything is brought into alignment with the God of lights. And I want us to encourage ourselves by, it's not just kind of like getting into line. There are so many benefits, and one of which John points out for us. Just like um, I don't have to spend a lot of time drying my hair, uh, there's another benefit to living in the light. Look there at verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, there's not only just a vertical focus and emphasis in this passage, uh, but there's a horizontal one as well. True fellowship with God manifests itself in, in this explosion of fellowship with other people. Loving our neighbour well, being kind, gracious, generous, patient, hospitable, leads us into greater relationships. And so we start to realise there is no real fellowship with God that does not get expressed also with other believers. That's what walking in the light is all about. But not only do actions matter, the orientation of those actions matter as well. It's likely this, this group of, of people, this group of leaders that had left the church had considered themselves to be without sin. See, look there in verse 8. We get this idea. John says, if we claim to be without sin, likely parroting uh, what these people said. Likely, remember, that these were, were Gnostic people. Spirituality or knowledge or growing in knowledge was very important. And so they didn't really care about sort of how you lived as much. And so it led them to this point that they would say that we are without sin. Maybe it's that they focus so much on being spiritual 
that they said they were beyond a state of sinful action. Or maybe they said their spirituality freed them from even being sinful people. Now we start to think of these Gnostic people or whoever they were and, and their whole emphasis on the spiritual realm as a bit weird, quite possibly. Who says that we do not sin? Obviously everyone sins. But as, as silly as we want to point out that these people are, we can actually live like them. See, instead of, of saying that we're sinful, we pretend that we aren't so often, don't we? Don't we make excuses? Don't you relativize or ignore your sin? Don't you want to hide behind circumstances or your personality and deny that you're not sinful? I mean, think about it. When, when was the last time you got angry with someone? Maybe you spoke harshly to them, unlovingly towards them. Maybe uh, some sort of cutting words that you knew would just really hit them in the right spot. And then don't we say to ourselves, well, you know, I just love them so much. And it was the only way they, they, they would change. So I just had to say it like that. Or maybe you say, well, it's my personality. I'm just an upfront, in-your-face kind of guy, and so they should just be able to accept what I say. Or maybe you say to yourselves, well, if they just got their act together, I wouldn't have to say anything like that. We hide behind circumstance or personality, and we deny the reality that in moments when we're really honest with ourselves, we are people who are sinful, yet do not want to admit it. John wants us to see that we are delusional if we say that we are people who are perfect and sinless. He says to us, you cannot see yourselves correctly. You deny that God sees you correctly. There in verse 10. But if you're thinking about this, uh, there becomes a problem. Remember we said an authentic relationship with God. If you really know God, you start to live like him. And John just says, well, we're people that actually live in the dark as well. Does that mean then we don't really know God at all? Well, I think it's helpful to think about walking in the light like this. Walking in the light does not mean you never sin, but does mean you do not seek to hide moments of sinful behaviour from God. It does not mean you never sin, but it means you refuse to hide. And so that makes more sense of this passage, especially verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John is calling for a constant and continual turning to God. That's how he wants to orient our actions when we fail. Authentic Christian living, friends. It is not about living life of sinless perfection, but it's about being honest. It's about acknowledging constantly where we fall down. And so that moment of confession, that's why we do it every week. It's that opportunity to admit and acknowledge before God that we do not walk as those who are perfect. But see, as we turn in knowledge, we start to um, give ourselves a sense of how we're doing with God. It's a barometer. Our confession is a barometer of our, our health and our relationship with God. See, if you truly know God, if you meet God, you start to recognise how beautiful he is and maybe how sinful you are. You start to see the greatness of your sin, the magnitude of your rebellion and your distrust or your lack of faith in God. See, in the light, you become more and more aware that you are very much not like God. And this should cause us to turn back to him. And so John wants us not just to live as those who know God, but to realise that when we fall down, we have to turn and orient ourselves back towards God. I mean, what do you do when you fall? Do you hide and cover up? Or do you turn back to God and say, God, help me, I need a saviour. 
and need a saviour. See, we can't just look at what we do, but also what happens when we fail. But I think we wonder, how can we truly be confident that even as we turn back to God, that he would accept us? That leads us to our last point. Jesus matters. Jesus matters. We read in the book of Isaiah, uh, someone that meets this God, this God of light. And as he meets this God of light, he, he says these words, Woe to me! I am ruined! From a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. He starts to realise that he's just not that good. And it's not just him, but it's everyone else. See, friends, if you truly encounter the living God, the God of light, you can't but help feel just that little bit exposed. A God that knows everything. A God of light where you cannot escape his piercing, radiant glory. We start to become less certain of ourselves, less convinced that we are good. We become less confident that we really are worthy to be in relationship with God. See, in the piercing light of God's pure glory and wholeness, we start to feel shame. We start to recognise the guilt that marks us because we are people that walk in the dark. And so the confidence comes that we can actually be in relationship with this God in chapter 2. So the first two verses, let me read them quickly for us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, John here writes as a, as a loving father. And like any fathers do, he wants his children to grow up as those that are proper and good and know their father, the God of, of light. He wants them to walk in a pattern of, of wholeness, of purity, of kindness, graciousness, hospitably. But he recognises, as a good father does, that his children aren't perfect. He recognises that we are people that fall and falter. And so what does he do? He provides them assurance. You can be certain that God loves you, that you can approach God with confidence. Why? The reason is here, now, passage, Jesus. See, Jesus acts, as John says, as an advocate. An advocate is one that speaks on behalf of another. If you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to fit in and you have your buddy there saying, yes, he's good, I trust him, I vouch for him. That's what Jesus does. He speaks on our behalf. And so in the presence of God, as we walk into his presence, as his radiance shines down upon us and your sin, your guilt is exposed before all people, Jesus speaks on your behalf, begging for mercy from God to forgive you, to make you whole and perfect and clean. We get this idea that this is what Jesus does in the verses beforehand, don't we? Verse 7, Jesus purifies us from all our sin. Verse 9, that we're purified from all unrighteousness. In this passage, we're constantly reminded that those that will trust in Jesus, their sin is wiped away. Our dirt smeared, greased, stained clothes that are exposed before God in his pure, whole lights are cleansed. Because of Jesus, we become people who stand confident and certain because our robes now are white, blistering, blindingly white light. See, the certainty that Jesus can speak confidently for us is because what he has done. We see there in this passage, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
See, in the Old Testament, the way that you came towards this God, this God of light, this holy God, uh, was to sacrifice an animal. You would essentially transfer all this deeds of darkness that you had done and placed it on the animal. And the animal in your place uh, would be put to death so that you would not have to. Uh, your sin for a while would be wiped away. God's anger would be turned away. And so John says Jesus is like that sacrifice but just so much better. As a sacrifice, Jesus dies in our place. He takes upon himself our filth, your guilt, the shame of living life in this world but falling to temptation. And as an atonement, he, his blood is used to purify us and make us clean. His death satisfies and turns away God's anger for our deeds. And so we see in verse 2 the completeness, the fullness of what Jesus has done is that he's not just died for, for John's sins, not just John's friend's sins, but the sins of the whole world. I mean, does that mean that like, kind of everyone, regardless of whether they, they like Jesus or not, uh, kind of have this opportunity to be in relationship with God? Well, I think the reality is we start to see that John doesn't think that. In chapter 5 of this uh, letter, he says that only those that trust and believe in Jesus uh, come into relationship with God. But John is likely thinking of this, this dynamic that goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. See, in, in the Old Testament, God's favour, his blessing, was very centralised and focused on the nation of Israel. It was, in some sense, through them that the whole world would be blessed. But in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit is given to the church, God's blessing moves not just to, to Israel, but it spreads out to the ends of the earth. As Jesus dies for the sins of the whole world, we see that he dies for all nations everywhere, all people everywhere that would trust and believe. See, friends, what does it, what does it mean to have an authentic relationship with God? Two very simple things. You are to live by faith and confess and trust in Jesus. What does what what living by faith mean? Well, it means this. Uh, we let God as light shape and transform how we live in this world. We start to, to become like God. We start to turn away from things that do not uh, reflect who God is. In Colossians 3, Paul reminds us that we have turned from sexual immorality, covetousness, anger, slander, lying, and we instead we have to turn and become people who are humble, kind, forgiving and patient. I mean, think about it, just as I read out those things, where do you need to grow? What do you need to turn from? See, being an authentic Christian is a life of faith. By faith you realise that your old self has been put to death. You no longer have to, to snap at people when they get on your nerves. You can turn and respond patiently. By faith you realise that Christ now lives in you. And so he starts to work and transform all that you do. See, by faith we need to start and believe that God, as he calls us to live this new life, is calling us to something that is more satisfying and beautiful than we could ever imagine. That's hard. See, in moments, anger feels, to be honest, really good. It feels better. It feels satisfying because we can just lash out and feel good because either people have disappointed us or people just haven't lived up to our expectations. And to, to be people who are humble, uh, to be patient and forgiving, uh, that just seems really unfulfilling. See, it's in those moments when we need to live in faith to see that God is truly pleased as we seek to be patient and kind, that ultimately as we persist, to be people who are humble and forgiving, uh, we are brought into a far fuller, more abundant relationship with others. Remember, living in the light leads us to fellowship with others. Um, if you want one helpful tip, it's this. 
uh, in your normal, everyday, ordinary life, find one thing in which you can grow in. One simple thing. So if you uh, catch the train and you always sit to people that have their music on too loud, maybe it's growing in patience to love those that are around you. Uh, maybe if you're uh, uh, you know, um, in high school and you uh, always have this temptation to make um, witty remarks because it makes you look funny and popular, maybe it's to, to hold back and to love others well. Find one thing that you can grow in daily. But it's not just to act, remember. It's not actions matter, uh, but the orientation of those actions matter as well. See, there will be moments when you try to exercise faithfulness, to exercise faith, but you will fail. Authentic relationship is, is not marked by pretending that nothing's wrong, but recognising our failure and turning to God. Turning to God and admitting that, that we are sinful and that we need a saviour. See, we don't do it uncertain, like, oh man, if I tell God this time, he's really not going to love me because this is the tenth time I've stuffed up and it's all going to be over. See, friends, unlike Adam and Eve who stood naked and ashamed before God because of what Jesus has done, you're given confidence that you can stand naked, not literally, but in a way that God sees you and others see you truly. You can stand naked and unashamed. You can know that as you come into God's presence, it's not some police cop that's going to find you, but a loving Heavenly Father that warms, warmly welcomes you back in. See, friends, confession is hard. It's about admitting that you're not as good as you think. It's about avoiding laying blame on others and accepting that something inside of you is wrong. It's about realising that we are people who have much to learn and grow in. But just as hard and as humbling as confession is, turning back to God, it is beautiful. It's an opportunity to take advantage of the work of Christ and live out the hope that he gives us. It's an opportunity to reorient ourselves and to give us hope, not in that we live well and do things perfectly to gain God's favour, but to know that Jesus has done everything for us. It's a reminder that God dearly loves us. See, we often do confession every week and people say, why why do you do that? And the often response I give is, um, it's tempting to only say I love you to my wife on Valentine's Day uh, once a year and to make it the most meaningful I love you, three words, for the whole year. And she's just kind of anticipating, waiting, oh, Valentine's Day's coming up, he's going to say I love you again and then she's going to have to wait the whole year. That's the, the relationships don't work like that. And if they did, they, they just probably would not work for, for very long. See, a normal relationship is a back and forth, uh, recognising that what we say in a constant way is not, is not belittling or demeaning those words. It's an emphasis that we really care about the other person. So often confession is seen as something, if you just say it, doesn't really mean much. Can I encourage you weekly to come, knowing that this is what a real relationship with God looks like, living and then turning and trusting in him. Two quick tips as we, as we close with confession. The first is do it often and confidently. That's why we do it every week. It helps build in us this opportunity to look inside and to see our need for God and God's work that is at work in our lives. The second is confess out loud. Uh, my wife said to me the other day that uh, she's been challenged to, to pray more out loud. It, it, it's some, there's something about verbalising our thoughts uh, to God. Sometimes as we confess out loud, it becomes a bit different from confessing in private and quietly. What does that mean? Well, I think as you say stuff, you're, start, you're confronted actually by what you're admitting. It's a great opportunity to realise God is at work, but also God, I need God. I need God. Friends, authentic Christian living is about trusting God, living by faith and turning back to Him. Let's pray that we would be people who do this.
Father God, we thank you so much um, that, that John reminds us uh, that it does matter how we live our lives. But because of Jesus, we can come before you confidently, knowing that even if we fail, you still love us, you have wiped away our sins, and then we stand before you as those who are pure and perfect because of Jesus. Help us by faith recognise and understand this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.